I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Right, sales and marketing teams, the Alpha Awards are back and it's time to nominate your business development heroes. On the 1st of May, Alf Insight, the UK's leading business development platform for the media industry, will be hosting a night of celebration for the best salespeople in the business. Whether you want to showcase a new business initiative, your account management team, purposeful partnership, or a rising star, there's a chance for your team to be recognized in the spotlight in front of key industry leaders, clients, and indeed their peers and yours. So get your entries in now at www.alfawards.com. That's A-L-F-Awards.com. Good luck. Hello and welcome to On Brand with Alf and me, Rory Sutherland. Each month I'll be talking to household names as well as challenger brands about success, challenges and future opportunities in the advertising, marketing and media industries. And today, I'm joined by Yusuf Chuku, who's the Executive Vice President for Strategic Planning and Commercial Impact at NBC Universal. With over 25 years in the business, both in London and New York, Yusuf has worked across planning and strategy functions for Microsoft, BMW, Samsung, just to name but a few. I think you actually started agency side, if I'm right. Is that right? You've done a little bit of time at DDB. Uh, tell, tell us about your early career first, actually, and then because there's oh, right. so much to talk about with NBC that once we get onto NBC, uh, I'm sure we'll have more than enough content for the whole session. So I, I'm intrigued to know, uh, did you start in New York or did you start in London? No, I started in in, in London, at BMP, Bishop's Ridge Road. Uh, so yes yes the, the prince of wales marvelous yeah the roughest advertising <laughs> exactly. pub in london yeah bizarre. <laughs> yes 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 I, I, yes so uh yeah a, a long time ago uh also i guess that the home of planning yes uh it's also uh, a good one or one of the two homes i um i i, I started off as a a graduate trainee uh there but i i, I went into media um which for me felt like um, like the most exciting place to be. It was like the mid nineties. Uh, I think I, I had played with the internet at college. Um, but I obviously I arrived into an, an agency landscape that I think had only just discovered PCs. Um, yes. and yeah. so yes, yeah. <laughs> it, but it, it felt like we were on the cusp of so much change that I kind of just wanted to be at the heart of that. But it, but I, at the same time, I struggled because I, um, I also, Really liked the idea of um, also being a an, an account planner, a, a, a sort of creative planner. So, um, but at, at the time, you, you had to choose a path, 
like you couldn't combine the two. So I, I, I started in media, but then interestingly transitioned later across uh, to the creative side. Um, did you overlap with Paul Feldwick at all? You must have done, I guess, a bit. Did you? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He was there. Yeah, he's an absolute uh, uh, he's a friend of mine who I see occasionally, and um, it, it's rather tragic because we went to the same school. He was a bit earlier than me, but we both went to Monmouth School. And so when we meet, what I should be doing is effectively milking him for his years of accumulated cladding wisdom, and we end up <laughs> sort of gossiping about various school teachers and things, and, um, which, which is I always think is rather a wasted opportunity. But what a place! What a place to start with oh, graduate training. I mean, that, that that was without question. By the way, also what a time because you're right to mention that fact that there was this period where the advertising industry was completely divided about the internet, and I even had colleagues who'd say, "Look, it's just CB radio for the 1990s. It's a flash in the pan." Now, in defence in defence of that position, an awful lot of things which the ad industry gets excited about are indeed flashes in the pan. You know. You know, exactly. you know, there there is weird things, you know, a bit like Clubhouse or a bit like, you know, 3D television, which every 25 years they kind of explode and then die rapidly. But the ad industry got wildly excited about Second Life, for example. Um, <laughs> and um, and so it's a, it, it's it, it was a fantastic time because if you understood that, and by the way, I got to confess something here, okay, which is, boy, did I get something wrong, which is I thought as a creative person and a creative agency that the great thing about the internet would be that people would spend more money on creative content and less money on media. And I thought, what a great <laughs> place to be a copywriter because the media is taken care of. That's just free voluntary distribution. And all we have yeah. to care about is producing really great, compelling content. And I kind of got that one absolutely 180 degrees wrong, didn't I? I should have got, I should have done what you did and gone into media, actually. Uh, yeah. But at, at the same time, uh, uh, watching watching people drift off to uh, fledgling companies that w- who knew that they, yes, we're going to be some of the yep. biggest companies in the world. So, you know, I, I, I missed some of those calls. But it's funny, I, I was um, I was writing a piece the other day about ha- how much of uh, we get wrong anyway as an industry and our, our predictions of, of, of what will be the next big thing. Um, and it's funny, if, if you go back like 30, 40 years and you look at uh, people's predictions across industries, and and because single-handedly the vast majority of them failed to predict the internet, um, therefore every other prediction that they made was wrong. Like if you think about how much of our, our, our world is driven by that one innovation, that if you failed to see it coming, then you, you you would have failed to see just about everything else. Yeah, and actually it it means that I mean so much of what businesses do now isn't really strategy; it's planning. By which I mean is it's it's optimized on the past. And you realize that now in even a fairly narrow time period, uh, actually what you plan for based on extrapolation from past findings is rendered pretty much irrelevant. The other thing the other thing that interests me, which I think is also true of streaming, by the way, is that technology in a way is fast, but it's also really slow in that you have technologies. Well, the most obvious one, which I always talk about, is video conferencing which has been even consumer-level video conferencing, has been kicking around for 30 years. I mean, Skype came in in the 90s. And you suddenly realize that the actual basic raw materials for something are often present literally decades before people really work out how to monetize them, how to scale them up, and also just for consumer behavior to catch up with what's possible. You know, um, that's you know, it's as simple as that. I mean, I always remember saying that pre-COVID, yep, 
you could do a really good Zoom call with someone in Frankfurt. But if you didn't fly to Frankfurt to see them, you looked like a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you're the lazy guys. You couldn't be bothered cool. to get up at six o'clock in the morning and board a plane, you know, yeah, yeah. if you're an agency pitching. And so you have to wait for the social context to change before the yeah. technology really delivers. And um, it, I mean, QR so, you, know, codes. you started, what a perfect, I started at Ogilvy and made the direct in 1988. And like you, I was an early internet adopter and enthusiast. And again, what a you know what a great place to start. And I, ah. You know, ninety percent of anything I've done actually um, comes down from my now wife helping me find that job as a career service in nineteen eighty seven. You know, what a you know just a great place to be at a great time. Absolutely. I also think I actually had to envy you. Game. I shouldn't say I'm going to get in trouble back home saying this, but what happened when they split media and creative, which I still think was a mistake. Actually, I think it was done for financial and operating reasons not for client benefit because they split media and creative at the very time when they became vastly more interdependent but the other thing that tended to happen in the ad industry which is a bit of a grumble of mine is the entrepreneurial talent tended to go with the media business and we were left with the courtier class you know we were left with a lot of people who are really really good at looking after clients but the actual kind of deal making entrepreneurial talent tended to go into the media agencies and i still miss them for that you know you could actually meet over a pint and you'd make something happen that that just hasn't happened ever since that's exactly it. i i the um the, the ideas didn't come in the briefing they came in those kind of interactions in the hallways the yeah. the, the pub conversations and, and 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 when we when you didn't have that cross fertilization of disciplines it, we lost something but part of why i wanted to be both a a media planner and, a, 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 and an account planner or brand strategist is that like I wanted to think about not just the content of the advertising but the context and I think when we pulled those two things the thinking for those two things apart we we, we lost so much because they are absolutely interdependent because you have target moments just as much as you have target markets in many cases and of course that wasn't really possible in TV because you watch TV in the evenings and you bought things during the day. So the actual that you're you're absolutely right. The power to create context is absolutely immense. So how did you how did you make your way from the agency and media agency world into what we always call client side, with a mixture of envy and pity, by the way. <laughs> So was it? So was it? Gone client side. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's a combination of going client, but also I guess media owner side. So I kind of went in both in both directions at the same time. I think the for me, I spent so actually, and I I, I feel bad telling this story because it, it's I'm sort of um, demeaning kind of my old life. But I spent a career um, stood in front of clients, telling them that we would help them their brand find its place in culture. That we would harness kind of popular culture uh, uh, to, to to their advantage, and that we were storytellers. Um, and then I I get a call from a company that really does do that, <laughs> like not yeah, not pretend yeah. storytelling, not pretend harnessing culture, like literally setting the cultural agenda. Um, and so uh, uh, I kind of just had to go where where it was really happening. I can't I completely understand that. So you went. You weren't at DDB then. We obviously you, you were at a media nah. agency then. We and then uh, what? what well, actually, yeah, what, I was I was um, I was a, 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 a I was a global chief strategy officer at VML Wine Of course you were. Of course um, you were. Fantastic. So yeah. I was uh, running around the world doing uh, lots of big WPP pitches. Um, yeah, uh, I yeah, can and having having a lot of fun. Travel was tough, but uh, it was fun. 
that that must have been absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So you you must be there when Mark Reed was running it, were you? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what a fantastic period that must be. Actually, um, they now I think are the home of connected brands. I think they call themselves, which is a rather good positioning. I think I have to say. He said through clenched teeth. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 smart, and and I, you know, and an understanding that like um, like that brand experience is just as important as the kind of the the customer experience with the brand. So like you 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 kind of have to create those things. There is no kind of like handoff. It's like a seamless uh, uh, transition, and so and an agency that can straddle both. I think it was, it was so, kind of so, cool. so just to capture the whole scale of what you do effectively, you, you spend some time in New York and then you came back. So NBC Universal includes obviously Universal Studios. So it, it also presumably owns a theme park. Is that right? Uh, um, yes. Yes. yes it does. Okay. I always, um, in the same way that, uh, who was it? Was it Turner Broadcasting used to own the Atlanta Braves? I always love these American corporations, which, you know, effectively straddle a whole bunch of interesting things. You've got obviously you've got Universal Studios yourself and the entire output of that. You've got MSNBC, you've got NBC, you've got Peacock as a streaming service. But then you're you're further in turn part of Comcast, which is which yes, also owns, owns Sky as well. So this yep. is absolutely ginormous yes. in terms of and not only the English speaking world, because you also have these um uh Telemundo and the Latin American networks and Spanish language networks. That's that's so, true. So this is this is astounding in terms of the scale. As as well as kind of Hollywood, <laughs> so Universal yeah, Pictures yeah. and all. Yes, so it's uh, yeah, huge. And I, I think if I'm right, it's presumably Comcast is the biggest is I think the biggest cable provider and internet provider, or, or the second biggest after AT and T in the United yep. States. So it really is this absolute giant. Obviously, you have an interesting problem in the UK, I guess, in that I, I've I've got a fundamental problem with the subscription model for content, <laughs> in that. I think it, um, first of all, it creates a disproportionate kind of winner-takes-all effect. And I also think that there's a danger that effectively, this is my behavioral science background speaking, which is there is a fundamental psychological ceiling to the number of direct debits people are prepared to have in a given month on their bank account for intangible goods. You know, So if you add up people's mobile phone bills, their internet access, their telephone bills, they've also got never mind their electricity, et cetera. You know, if you actually subscribe to all the streaming services you want on a monthly basis, uh, then you'd end up effectively having about three pounds left to live for the rest of your month. <laughs> so do you, do you see, particular, particularly true of Peacock, which is, I suppose, a relative latecomer to the UK market, do you see a problem there in terms of cut-through, or do you see other solutions like, for example, being a paid channel within the Amazon Prime network or something like that? Is the answer? I guess when when you know if, if you look back at kind of the the, the early days of streaming, um, I, I think we, we certainly it, it certainly arose with a, a sort of a promise. You know, there was there was this yeah. belief that we would we would cut our cables, that we would um, it would just get so much easier just to get the content, the exact content you wanted uh, when you wanted. But at the same time, we 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 trained people into believing that actually it didn't cost very much. That you yeah. could have all of the content in the world and 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 no ads, um, and it would all be uh, at the time seven dollars ninety nine or whatever it was at the beginning, um, and it just that just doesn't work. No. Um, um, but also, it was sort of built on the premise that um, consumers didn't like advertising, which which actually isn't true. 
and, and, and I'm not saying that from a self-interested position of having created advertising and now finding a home for advertising, but it, it, it was more that all my time in the industry taught me that actually it's not that consumers disliked advertising, they disliked bad advertising and they yeah. disliked a bad advertising experience. And so what, 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 what we did, uh, when we launched Peacock was, 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 was recognize that actually if you can create, uh, an environment where, um, you can, you can have, have advertising, but you keep them in, in, uh, you sort of, you know, you reduce the, 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 the minutes of advertising in a, an, an hour. You create a more premium ad experience and ad environment. Um, not only is that great for the viewer's experience, because actually they can have the content yeah. that they want at an affordable price, where the economics makes sense. Um, but also yeah. you create a great environment for, for brands to connect with, 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 with those audiences. And, and, and I, you know, we, we saw huge success with that, with Peacock. I think what, what you are now seeing is actually this, you know, but, uh, the, the emergence of, of the sort of the, the ad funded streaming. So kind of yeah. a, a lot, a lot of the uh, SVOD platforms are now launching their own ad tiers. Um, Amazon most famously, I guess Amazon Prime is doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, in most of our subscribers are on our ad tier. And so it's, it's, I think we, we were kind of their, their, their first and, and, and a recognition that actually, uh, that was where the sort of the, the, the exact right place to be is for for creating a an environment that's great for audiences and, and, and advertisers really yeah i think you're you're right about you're right about that that actually people hate bad ads badly placed but there's a wonderful quote from um howard luck gossage who said that people don't read advertisements they read what interests them and sometimes it's an ad and i think that's that's a translated to television people don't watch tv programs they watch what interests them and sometimes it's an app. If it appeals to them, it's fine. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, we once a year uh, we decide that actually we're going to create some great ads, and people are going to enjoy them, and, and and they all sit in the Super Bowl, and we all talk yeah. about it, and we all love it, but somehow we kind of forget after that. No, and actually, it worries me for a second reason, which is that the focus on, uh, if you like, the digital component, in other words, the delivery component of ads, rather than the creation. There are two reasons to create an ad, one of which is the ad, and the other reason is the insights you derive through the process of producing it. And what worries me is that in the old age of media commission, when people spent money on advertising, they kind of got insights for free, because a certain amount of that commission went to an agency, which asked, along with the client, obviously, the fundamental questions of who are we talking to, what do we say, what makes us different, why should they choose us over anybody else, what do we need to do and that thinking, which was necessary to produce high-quality content, was almost as valuable in itself as the content that arose. In fact, you know, there was probably you could probably make a case for producing an ad that never runs simply because of the value of the exercise. And I think that that got lost. I mean, I hope it comes back. But you're right about that. You know, the Super Bowl—it's all there. Christmas retail ads yes, in Britain exactly. are the Super Bowl of the UK, and that that. That wonderful thing comes back temporarily, and then everybody forgets it again and starts, you know, installing their, you know, tech stack. And actually, <laughs> yeah. just things that are great to look at, things that are arresting, attention grabbing, and interesting. I mean, we all know what's so interesting is mathematically, um, uh, it's the creative component that really is a very, very large part of what distinguishes the success of a communication. And yet, because you can't quantify it and codify it, and because it requires human beings as of now, okay, we can <laughs> debate 
we can probably have the mandatory AI three minutes later <laughs> on in the call. But actually, the fact that people have to do it and the fact that it's painful and time-consuming is part of the reason it's valuable. You're forced to think in a different way. And, uh, and that's why I think an agency background is actually really, really valuable. And actually, quite a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, have come out of that agency background because it does give you a complementary way to think, which is kind of consumer focused rather than operations focused. Yeah, I remember going to Cannes a few years ago, and um, someone made the observation. I've kind of subsequently repeated, but they were like, it, it was like going to a, an architecture conference, but all the exhibitors were plumbing and electric firms. And it was a kind of a, a reflection of kind of the, the, the predominance of kind of ad tech at, at, at Cannes at the time. But like, for, for me, yeah. it's, it's, it, it actually was a, a smart way of thinking about the relationship between the two. So if, if the, the storytelling, the creative is the kind of the beautiful house, it actually still needs plumbing still electrics plumbing. to function. Absolutely exactly. right. Yeah, yeah. And so as long as you understand that, that those things, that the data and technology is in support of, of create, like great advertising and great content, then, then you're good. <laughs> but it, it, it's just ensuring that you kind of understand the relationship between the two. And so you have, you have got a real powerhouse, which I think we all badly need, which is, uh, you know, in the shape of uh, uh, NBC Universal, which is, you know, and essentially, I suppose the whole organization is is what Mark Ritson would call bothist. It, it's the long and the short of it. You understand the importance of both. And we, we, you know, we knew that back in direct marketing in the 1990s. We knew that when an ad campaign ran, um, not only did the ad campaign build brand, it also significantly increased the response rates of all our direct communication. You know, and the thing is actually, you know, if you get it right, it's a benign cycle. It's kind of a compounding effect. And the tragedy was really that there's always this tendency among technology firms which includes the management consulting firms basically to say x will replace y and of course the lesson of american the lesson of american media is that yeah okay there are media like the fax machine that you know things do die out you know undoubtedly you know the car killed a few horse related businesses there's no doubt about that most of the time you know just as actually photography didn't replace painting it just caused painting to adopt a different direction i.e surrealism cubism etc okay the, the same thing happens with media and actually you know the, the funniest one of all was that there was a long long-standing hollywood prediction that home video was really going to kill cinema <laughs> and the weird thing was the opposite happened because home video reawakened people's interest in feature films as distinct from tv which drove them to go to the cinema more so there was actually, you know, and, um, and of course you get exactly the same thing in retail, which is yes. this nonsense that, you know, because you can make a very narrow case that ordering things online is slightly more efficient in terms of time, it completely neglects the fact that people like being with people and enjoy shopping because you can <laughs> also combine it with other things. And so you, th th this fight against this, this total fight against that there's no point in doing this because it has no future the future's all about X, is, su is such a sort of pernicious thing. But of course, there were a lot of people who had a fundamental vested interest in selling that, that narrative. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it makes a great trade press headline, uh, uh, like the uh, end of X, <laughs> the, the, the birth of Y. I, I, yeah. um, I, I, sorry, I, I'm sat here in front of uh, a very a, a huge stack of vinyl actually books as well <laughs> all very analog um at the same time i have my spotify um 
uh, subscription. The, the 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 way in which things happen is be, it, 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 to your point. You're absolutely right. Things. It's not that a new entry of a new thing kills the old thing. No. All that happens is it, it's it's an ecosystem, and 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 what we see is therefore massive evolution and how we uh, utilize those things. That the, the role that those things play uh, sh- fundamentally shift. Um, but ultimately, it's not about them dying. It's about about them evolving. And I bring it a lot back to to to, to television. And, and the world in which I, I, I sit and, and, you know, I'll, I'll speak to, um, marketing folk, agency folk every day. And I've come to the conclusion that we, um, all of us, um, we, we operate, you know, actually you're, you're a behavioral economics guy, heuristics, right? Yeah. yeah we, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we all have our shortcuts in terms of how we think about how advertising works and how marketing works. And, and those, those shortcuts we, we learned pretty much when we joined the industry. And so they're if, kind of tacitly understood, aren't they? And the interesting yes. thing is, of course, I would argue, I, I, there are two things I defend very strongly, which is heuristics instead of data and anecdotes. I think it's completely wrong to dismiss things as anecdotal because new information at its most important phase emerges in anecdotal form. And the reason we've we've evolved to pay attention to gossip and anecdotes is that's the form in which you hear things first when they really matter. You know, I visited the local tribe and they were behaving in a strange way. Okay, that's how you first get the inclination that they might be planning an attack, (laughs) right? And so if you look at, I always say that, you know, if you look at detective work, most detective work, police detective work, where you catch a criminal, uh, effectively arises on someone hearing something, spotting the fact that it's significant. The thing has no evidential value. It's not a robust piece of data. It simply says, we should investigate this more. Okay? That's a weird behavior. We should find out why this guy was doing this. And so this weird, this weird data purist idea is crazy because if you're dealing in an uncertain world, which the future is by definition highly uncertain, you can't navigate it with data because the data doesn't exist yet. And so it's a fundamental mistake. Now, obviously, an engineer can use data because data on tensile strength and gravity, that's not going to change, okay? You know, the properties of steel are an unchanging property. But the property of markets are fundamentally always in, you know, and fashions at the most extreme level, uh, you know, are always going to change. And looking at your past data on what's sold is not really going to help you very much. And a good heuristic probably beats it every time it's true the, the, i guess the where i was heading though is that like there is a a negative side to heuristics like oh, yeah. we 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 you think about like um if, if i if when i came into the industry and and the role of out of home the role of tv all, all, all those things kind of played a particular role in a, in a media plan and an ad campaign um the problem is that like uh, uh media has and yeah we just had the point about like evolution in the media world it has fundamentally changed I, I think about my three years at nbc universal i still i've joined uh, the, the company i joined is radically different to the company it is today um and and that is driven by data and technology and so the the, the way in which you can use television has shifted yeah actually i'm i'm you know dealing with a marketplace that doesn't understand or doesn't truly recognize some of those shifts so yes there was a time when it was it was upper funnel and it supported kind of the other efforts uh, as, as you went down, but the, the the way in which you can target with data now, the way in which um, tech enables people to utilize television means that actually it 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 it, it can operate as a performance medium, <laughs> um, as well as kind of doing the big sort of the big brand long term sales stuff. Um, and but Ab- but like absolutely. the not understanding that is kind of probably one of the biggest challenges that I, 
I sort of face on a daily basis. I, I learned that lesson very well about the what you might call media heuristics, the assumptions and the kind of lazy stereotyping that applied to media selection. And I always remember because you remember Tess Alps, obviously, who was yes. the time the chief executive of Thinkbox, and she'd always attend digital conferences, and people would refer to television as though it were an analog media, and she'd always stand up and shout at the back. Television is digital. Yes, okay, yes. Right? And of course, people, that was a, a, an absolutely ca- classic case of lazy stereotyping, which is, well, the medium existed 20 years ago, therefore we'll treat it as an old medium. Exactly. And um, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right about that. I think it was, I, th- I, I thought Tess was absolutely heroic doing that thing <laughs> of basically sitting there waiting for someone to sort of subtly imply that television was old school and analog and would always stand up and shout television is digital as is indeed radio and so forth and, and of course digital cinema quite interesting as well because exactly. that fundamentally changes yes. what you can do yeah yes when you look at so, so it, does your role encompass worldwide or is it mainly europe and um your middle east africa yeah no, at the moment? no w- worldwide so i, I do worldwide. actually i do actually sit still sit in new york um uh, obviously, a big, big chunk of time uh, focused on, on on the US, but also our, our, our global operation as well. Yes. Oh, that's absolutely that, that is a, that is the biggest chess set of what to do. But, it, but the glorious thing is, you are at least in with a rare position of having a proper full chess set in the sense that you can look at complementarity between things rather than having to maintain this ludicrous pretense, which I think is. I did look. I don't blame the digital people for doing this because we had this nervy. You'll remember this. We had this nervy period in the nineteen nineties where we thought actually it might be a flash in the pan, and you know, and obviously, lots and lots of small companies started up with a massive vested interest in kind of boosterism and and also you know doom mongering for everything that pre existed. I mean, I, I I was in a very privileged position, freakishly, because first of all, when I was at university, I was a classicist, but my brother was a scientist. And so he got access to the internet pre-web. And I used to blag time with his password. And then he was living at the time as a, in, Ber- he was in Berkeley uh, doing a postdoc. And his flatmate had been Tim Berners-Lee's flatmate at CERN. <laughs> so, so my failure to actually monetize this, the fact that I discovered about the web on day <laughs> one, because my brother told me about it, and my total failure to have monetized this in any way is kind of a source of mild shame on my yeah. Because back then, I could have started anything. I didn't need a good idea. I just needed, you know, I, I could have had a digital landscape gardening business. Goldman Sachs would have bought it for 50 million. <laughs> so, I mean, exactly. I don't know why I bothered. I probably was, I think it's a mistake that if you know, know a bit about something, sometimes you set yourself standards that are too high. You know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Top two challenges brought to you by Alf Insight. Alf Insight helps media owners, agencies, and marketing service providers improve their new business pipelines by equipping them with in-depth insights, accurate information, and daily news updates on the leading and challenger brands in the UK. Alf now also helps sports clubs, venues, and charities with new partnership deals. Alf Insight identifies the brands to target at the right time, providing everything you need to tailor the perfect pitch. Visit Alf Insight, that's ALFinsight.com, or click the link in the episode description to find out more. Firstly, um, the question is, what's the biggest advertising challenge for global television and media companies? What trends are you seeing? And the second question is, to take that same question, what's the most pressing challenge for NBC Universal specifically? I guess what, one of the things that I... Um, content now is, is essentially everywhere. Um, and, and, and for answers, you know... Th- for brands and broadcasters you kind of need to to, to follow where where consumers are are, are are watching that content so you know you, you look at total video consumption 50 percent of it um is 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 via streaming uh i think we're, we're looking at probably like 70 percent in in five years and, and even that i think might be um an understatement um i think we're seeing a huge emergence of of sort of ad funded streamings i've talked about kind of it it, it, it sort of the s offerings now kind of coming out of their ad tiers um and and i i all of those things uh mean that like for, for advertisers now the the challenge of how do you truly connect with those audiences how do you um fight through the, the clutter and, and and also create create relevance for your brand um I, I think has has got a lot harder like like massively hard um it, it, the, the other day i was i was uh, sat in a uh a, a round table which was around brands um and how they engage in culture and and avoid avoid kind of um some of the, the the backlash that can exist when you insert yourself in the wrong place and say the wrong thing um and so and but what was fascinating is at the same time the brands didn't have a an uh it wasn't that you could like remove yourself from it like your brand is in culture and so if you if you exercise cultural blindness it's going to catch you catch up with you and ultimately destroy destroy your brand and so you have to proactively engage and and i i i i, I for me the the um but you know i talk about this sort of the challenge of of kind of this 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 this, this landscape that has now changed and and the challenge of brands trying to kind of insert themselves into culture um but at the same time that presents huge opportunities i think i think there are um uh, there are still 
the places that allow brands uh, or our people to kind of come together. Um, and I, t- television still offers those, those opportunities to kind of forget some of our, our, our differences or sometimes our algorithmic driven differences. Um, and actually, and so yeah, you, you look at, uh, you know, talked about SNL, talk about us coming together to watch sport, all, all, all these things, um, allow kind of different people, different generations to come together. And I think the, the, the challenge for advertisers is to kind of find those opportunities and, and leap on them. Yes, actually, it's something in Britain, I think, that, that I always think that ITV and Channel 4 do better than the BBC, which is you do get the impression, if you watch something like Gogglebox, that ITV and Channel 4 rather like their audiences, okay? You know, that they're actually fond of them with all their failings and faults and peculiarities and foibles. It's a bit like Shakespeare, you know, okay? You know, what you can obviously tell from Shakespeare is that, you know, there are characters all the way from kings to kind of Toby Belch and serving people, but you do feel that he has a kind of warmth towards all of them. And I think that great television, great television is is inclusive in that way, and it's kind of tolerant. And and, and I think there's there's an element where the BBC has an element of pulpit to it, which I think is actually slightly irritating. I I don't know how they how they solve that problem, but it it always strikes me your point you made, which is that these are real these are really important shared experiences and shared viewpoints shared narratives yeah we 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 did some research um about a year ago now that that looked at like um uh culture and and sort of how we sort of identify um but one one of the pieces that 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 popped up in that for me was this this stat that um 93 percent of us uh kind of want to learn about cultures other than their own so we are we are effectively culturally curious um, and I, 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 I when, when I was, I, I sort of tell this story to kind of reference kind of how the world has changed. I, I grew up obviously in, in, in London, the son of Nigerian immigrants. When I took my pack lunch to school, it smelled. It was a very distinctive smell of Nigerian food. And, and, and the kids were like, oh my goodness, what is that? Put it away. It stinks. And all, all I wanted was like jam sandwiches to be like the other kids. Fast forward to today, or, you know, Pack, pack lunch for my kids. My, my wife is of Pakistani origin. Again, more distinctive flavors and smells. But now the kids are like, oh, can I taste that? Can I, can I try that? But like, it, it's just a reflection of just constantly now. We, we are curious and we want to learn. Um, and so the, the, but by the way, you must get her to make Halim Akbari. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you've had yeah, it. No, it, 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 uh, it, yes, it is fantastic. Amazing. So, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. But Ed, you're absolutely right because if you look at the data, and if you look at the data on spice consumption, actually in the U.S. as well, the U.S. was always historically very bland, um, except for sort of New Mexico and Texas, I guess. But I mean, you look at if you look at the whole widespread spice consumption, it's going up and up and up, and it's driven by young people. I find it, as we when you think about sort of our, our curiosity about other cultures, um, when you when you come back to sort of storytelling, and again, this is supported by another piece of research we did. We are actually really interested in things that sometimes are very different from us. Um, so I, I, I could I could be drawn to a story of a woman in a in a in a, a, a South South American tribe and, and her life, and and she lives millions thousands of miles away from me, very different situation. 
But there are elements of that story of her humanity that I completely connect with and can recognize and kind of feel like, yes, I totally get that. And, and so the, it's this way, I, I used to be, a, you know, working on, on, on global on the advertising side. And so we'd always be struggling to find these like universal insights. And, and you'd often end up in these sort of like the lowest common denominator of stuff that was just bland. But actually what, what's, what's fascinating is it's, it's, in the differences and the quite stark differences that we find these these sort of moments of commonality. <laughs> this is this is beautiful stuff. I mean, the, the opportunities, I suppose, are one. As again, as said, you can find these cultural universals in that, uh, you know, uh, and I actually, you know, if you look at something like Squid Game, which admittedly is not one of yours, um, but the you know the extraordinary success of something that comes completely out of left field. Oh. You also have the opportunity, I suppose. I I always joke about this, which is that um, I think on YouTube there are something like 200,000 hours of content. No, sorry, probably 200 million hours of content. I can't remember. But but with, with which where the title starts with the words how to. Okay. And I remember watching it, how to what, – what can apparently happen in cold, very cold weather is your boiler outlet pipe freezes over, so it means your central heating doesn't work. And it's basically a film, how to defrost your boiler outlet pipe. Okay. That's not going to get a cinema release. But if your boiler outlet pipe freezes, okay, that's the most interesting content you're going to watch all day. In fact, it's better than the scissors and cane. Now, in the same way, of course, there's an, at the other end, there's now an opportunity for smaller advertisers to use big media. And that's something that really interests me, which is, you know, we historically, I mean, apart from those funny little cinema ads we got in our childhood, the, you know, at the end of the Pearl and Dean rail where, a local restaurant would appear generally there wasn't much small business content on television and i've noticed localization starting to appear i've started to get kent related ads from time to time and it's it, it's very very interesting because it's a huge huge possibility i think again it's i i the um I come back to sort of the, the, the curse of some of these legacy perceptions. So yes, yeah. we yeah. Um, it is most definitely a, a a medium open to to just small business. We 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 even have our own um, sort of programmatic sort of self serve tech. So essentially, advertisers who might not have agencies or anything like I don't even know how to even buy advertising can very simply come in and 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 buy a campaign directly and and have it targeted exactly where they need it to be um we the other the other interesting area that that that, that, that um we've seen a lot of growth is in 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 sort of our commerce capabilities um which again yeah. you, know, you think about um the need for, for for smaller brands to quickly get to to a to, to a sale uh, we have been offering uh, various opportunities for, for for brands to kind of literally and certainly smaller brands like insert themselves into content. So on 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 our US version of Love Island um, that lives in on Peacock, literally viewers can shop um, their sort of favourite stars products <laughs> literally there and then. So I've seen it on air. I can go through, click through, it and actually buy it for myself. WPP um, is actually the co-creator of that series. Would you believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, funny enough, I mean that that actually that cross-cultural thing. I mean, uh, an interesting one there was Narcos, which I always thought was ingenious because it was effectively an Anglo-Spanish. Um, in, in half of it was English, and then the other half was Spanish subtitled. Unless you were Spanish, in which case I imagine it was the other way around. 
I, I mean, there are Americans who are devotees of British co- cooking shows. We this is is exactly when we we we, um, we co-produced uh, we are lady parts with with, with Channel Four, so and oh, so nice it, it lives on it lives on Peacock in the US. Um, but what what what's fascinating about you know a show about a female Muslim rock brand in in the UK? Yeah, actually, very found of an of a significant audience here in the US. But again, like on the face of it, little connection. But yet, I am drawn to their story. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And actually, that little business, I always remember the guy who was the head of BBC, I think it was BBC Four, who was the first guy to buy Swedish crime drama in the UK. So he bought, I think it was The Killing. Um, and then it, it was just on, B, I think it was BBC Four, okay, which was really niche And it ended up, I think, on, if not BBC One, BBC Two, certainly, and became absolutely enormous. And I said, uh, why, why did you choose to buy it? And he said, well, the great thing is that if you're British, the great thing about Scandinavians is they're just the right amount of weird. <laughs> and in a, in a sense, what he, mean, what he means is that, you know, there are things which are, you know, completely peculiar and incomprehensible. But there, but if you can find this area of kind of commonality, you know, which Marcos, you know, I don't have that much in common with the Colombian crime gangs or, or Mexican crime gangs. But you can fundamentally understand the universals there. It's that's really, really potent. It's astounding. Yeah, yeah. totally. But I'm, I'm really interested in this. So you have this sort of small business system which can produce advertising for very small businesses that just allows them to reach a local audience or a or a highly specific audience. I think. That, I mean, you've obviously got MSNBC, so there's also, I think, an opportunity for B two B TV much more yeah 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 and and obviously cnbc and so yeah yeah with again a global global footprint again the global footprint my goodness that's incredible yeah in terms of the pressure to innovate and stay relevant to audiences um obviously the movies seem to be having to be absolutely candid i mean i kind of lost it with the movies over the last eight years because i'm one of the old school people who likes my films to obey the laws of physics and generally not rely on magic or superpowers very much uh, to, to be honest with you, I, I, if you look at the output from our our, our studios, you 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 won't see mm. much of that. I mean, you know, we no, I know Oppenheimer, classic, just great movie making, absolutely that. magnificent. Yeah. That you see, that got me out to the cinema. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and um, that, that that that's exactly what I want to see when I go to the cinema. Now, I, I granted, okay, you have this problem. I think I think you have this problem in all media, which is what you might call. Someone wrote an article on it called The Curse of the Marginal User. And in the effort to grow audiences, you know, it's a bit like, you know, kind of the Labour Party in a funny kind of way. You start ignoring your core devoted loyal audience in the pursuit of gains at the margin, at which point you start, if you're not careful, you're starting to make films for kind of Chinese teenagers. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. what what has happened to people in my age? Now, admittedly, we were never the heaviest cinema but we were, you know, reliably paying up and buying the premium seats a few times a year. And I had this period, was, Scorsese said that going to the movies now feels like a theme, you know. And um, that that was an unfortunate period in cinema, which was in danger of losing me until you came back with Oppenheimer. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> You're very welcome. My film tastes, are, you know, I'm perfectly happy with a film where, like, you know, three French couples meet in a country house, two of them have sex, and they go to a restaurant, talk about it afterwards. So my, 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 my film t- tastes aren't, aren't massively mainstream, so I'll <laughs> apologise for that. No, but yeah. but in, your, in your pressure to innovate, 
there's kind of a constant kind of, in a way, I mean, there's this epitome which, you know, if I were had legislative power, I'd actually like say, can we actually have an eight-year period of non-innovation, non-disruption, where we repair some of the damage we've done and focus on what's really important? Um, and I think the cult of disruption has become slightly dangerous. And so you, you're in a really wonderful position because you can innovate where it counts, but you still recognize the importance of sort of eternal truths in storytelling and so on. That, that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. Our business is storytelling. And, you know, we, we have been, as humans, it, 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 we've been doing it since the dawn of time. It's the thing that kind of does make us human. It's how we learn, how we make sense of the world. And so, I yeah, whenever we focus on our craft of being sort of world-class storytellers, yes, you will always be, be relevant. I used to pull up a... Um, a, a slide uh, that sort of showed the um, last time I did it, it must have been like 2022, but I was looking at like 2021 top YouTube clips. Uh, and what was fascinating is I think three or four of them were NBCU properties. Um, it was kind of this, this kind of interesting kind of like, hold on, we, we, you know, the, the, you know, we talk about those sort of legacy perceptions of us being kind of this dinosaur medium, but yeah. at the same time, we were driving kind of consumption of in, 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 in on sort of new tech platforms. And so, you know, you, you look at kind of whenever something new enters our ecosystem. It is yeah. still driven by premium content. That's still the thing that, that, that gains the eyeballs. It's, you know, you look at, if you look at half the TikTok trends, um, they are born of things of that live in movies, in TV. Um, and, and you have this interesting flywheel effect. Every, every, every week, SNL will, uh, take something that's kind of bubbling on TikTok and actually turn it into a mega trend. Like we, we all, we exist in this ecosystem together, even as our, our content creators, think through how we create the voice how we create snl it's not just the show that lives on tv in the in the linear feed it's it's also the youtube clips it's also tiktok and, and you know we allow advertisers to follow that content wherever it, it lives that flywheel effect is amazing isn't it because i mean in a sense i mean you know i mean a lot of reality tv only survives on tabloid news coverage really to keep it keep it alive and so that when, you, when you have that kind of flywheel effect, it's kind of, it is absolutely magical. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. If you look at the, yeah, the top YouTube clips are those little interesting clips, which actually become a common language. And um, I suppose there's also the interesting chance as well, which is that the digital media do give, I mean, the most famous example is the Shawshank Redemption. It was a real sleeper hit. It was a, it was a massive, basically a failure at the cinemas and then became a home video rental kind of sensation. And so the opportunity actually to, because I mean, there are, there are things, I mean, they nearly cancelled Star Trek after its mm. first season because mm. the audience figures were low until someone very shrewdly noticed that the audiences were small, but the audiences were absolutely captivated. I head up a research team. Um, and, you know, we, we talked earlier about kind of um, some, when people blindly follow the data. Uh, yeah. what's inter- what I always talk about is how you interpret those signals. If, if you go to the NBC Universal boardroom, uh, you'll see framed is a printout of uh, the first Seinfeld test results. And so, uh, and, you, and you read them and it's not, it's not pretty. Like audiences were kind of like, I'm not really sure what this was about. No. They, were, they were kind of weirdly awkward and buried in there though, was kind of some of the signals around, but I kind of am curious. 
I kind of want to see where this yeah. is playing out. This feels very different to things that I've seen before. And it, and it took a as, a, as a, as a creative company, we had to interpret those results as like, the, those results are either telling us we've got an absolute dog or actually there is something really precious here. And if we can give it time to grow, it can turn into something spectacular. Yeah. And actually patience and, you know, a, a company which understands actually uh, you know, the real risk reward thing that is large enough to actually take those risks is absolutely essential because I think we have become dangerously short-termist. And also it's created, I think, I think there's too much responsibility now vested on too many individuals, by which I mean, you know, actually collective responsibility means you can pool risk between you and pool the gains. Okay? If, you, if you make everybody responsible for their own peculiar little very narrow category, that facility, which is the point of a company in some ways, it's to enable people to venture more because they share the upside gains and they they you know mutually absorb the losses and therefore they can be riskier than any one individual. I think that's what's really being badly hit. Um, I, th- I think you know actually the, the obsession with accountability is actually extremely dangerous because failure failure is generally an integral component of, of disproportionate success. Totally. That, that, yeah. that Seinfeld, that Seinfeld printout is actually a brilliant thing to frame and put on the wall because it takes, you know, it, I mean, the, the great mystery, by the way, is why it never took off in the UK to the same extent. I apparently it was very badly scheduled. Um, I yeah, I, th- I think there were, it was BBC Two or was it? I can't something like that. I can't remember. It's yeah, yeah, and it's, it's which is actually w- w- why I kind of always talk about yeah. us living in a golden age now, where like yeah. uh, no longer is content tied to the, the the whims of a scheduler like no. actually it, it is available to be found and and, and I, I um so I, I talk a lot about kind of what's happening on, on, on peacock now as we are seeing gen z teenagers who yes they do watch television just differently um but they are they are discovering shows from like the 90s and, and it's, interesting yeah. it's I, I i when i was younger very long time ago, you know, I was, I, I, I grew up as a, a 90s hip hop kid. Uh, ah, 90s hip hop. <laughs> it sampled like funk from the 70s, jazz from the 70s. And, 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 and I, I think about the clothes that were, you know, even in, in Britpop at the time and, and looking back to the stones and all this. And so, like, we, we as young people always look back to past generations and it's been music and fashion that's driven that. What, what's fascinating now is that, like, you're seeing them look back and grab the television from that period as well. So, we're seeing a rise in kind of popularity. Friends, TV. Friends exactly. is absolutely enormous. The other one with my daughters is uh, for about a year, my daughter watched an episode of Peep Show before going to bed every <laughs> single evening to a point where now she knows the script pretty much off by heart. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, the whole thing was weird. I mean, there you know, were barely mobile phones, okay? They were, the, I think, in the later episodes. But the whole thing, you know, and, and yet for some reason, that creation of things which are repeatedly watchable is the real is an extraordinary thing. I, I had to have this explained to me because my grandmother, who grew up in South Wales in, in Bryn Mawr, uh, born in 1900, she explained that when I went to see Casablanca, she said, that as far as I was concerned, that was the only chance I'd ever have to watch that film ever because you could only watch it at the cinema. There was no TV and it was never going to come back unless you lived in some place like London, you know, central London where there was an art cinema which occasionally brought back things. But that was it. She said, I went, to the, I went to see, you know, something like Casablanca. And that was it. That, I'm never going to see that again. And it's extraordinary. 
the other thing she told me is that, the, that silent films weren't all that great because all the school children used to read out all the captions simultaneously. <laughs> and if you've got every single caption accompanied by a readout from 150 South Welsh school children, some of the romantic magic does get slightly damaged. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been, I've, I've got to check the time. You, you obviously are insanely busy. So I think all that remains for me to say is this has been inordinately enjoyable. Yusuf, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, one more thing. Yeah. Without actually giving away trade secrets, are there any launches that we can look forward to in 2020? Ironically, it's probably the oldest thing of all, (laughs) the Olympics. Uh, They are back. And I, but, but I, 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 the, the, Partly why I'm 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 so excited about them is 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 they are obviously with um they are the obviously one of the strongest brands or actually the I'd, I'd actually argue one of the strongest brand in the world. But what's fascinating about it is that it, it, it it's that the values of the Olympics are extremely accessible. <laughs> I, I I always love the fact too, which is that one weird sport rather like curling in the Winter Olympics. It gives this opportunity for one completely weird sport to actually captivate b- billions oh. of people. Well, exactly. I mean, we 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 yeah. we we, t- we, we are, are sort of like ninety one percent of fans kind of go. Look, it, it, it teaches me about yeah. the rest of the world and other cultures. It, it, it you know seventy seven percent of them believe it, it enables them to connect to other cultures. Again, I talked about that cultural connectedness earlier, but the, the the Olympics is all of that on 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 steroids. And then so I think you know Paris. Just it's Paris, so it's it's going to be amazing. But but also p- part of what we we will continue to explore is enable people to experience it how they want. Um, and so again, on 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 our streaming platforms, enables you to whether you want a a curated offering, whether you want to watch it live, whether you want to watch the the bits that that that, that are really important to you. All of that becomes a, a it was all of that is a, a, you're able to kind of watch it on 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 your terms. I love the fact that with with Formula One, we work with Formula One a little bit at Ogilvy. And, of course, they have the Formula One TV. And there are people there who aren't really very interested in the drivers, but they're absolutely obsessed with the telematics. Okay? So, you know, or there are people who literally watch it for tyre change strategies. <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, okay, I think that's magnificent. I think that, you know, I think it's, you know, I think that ability for us to actually, you know, go deep and broad yeah. Is I agree. Golden age is exactly the right word. Well, Yusuf, thank you very much. I hope to meet you again in person. You're based in New- you're in New York at the moment. Yes, you? yes, well, I am. Yes. Uh, have a, have a wonderful weekend. And, thank uh, you. All I can say is just uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, any time. I think we might invite you back. Thank you. You've been listening to On Brand with Alf and Rory Sutherland. If you want to do business with the NBC Universal team or with any other media and entertainment organizations, you can always contact the Alf Insight team on their website, which is www.alfinsight.com. That's A-L-F-Insight.com. You can also find the link in the episode description below. The series, as ever, is produced and expertly edited by Ultimate Content. And to make sure you receive the next episode, please do tweak the algorithm by subscribing and then giving us a like. Thanks for listening and... See you next time. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. 
Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 